You are listening to the Mining Stock Education Podcast, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. I'm feeling pretty pretty optimistic and perhaps even excited uh, for a change on the junior sector, at least in the precious metal space right now. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers. Well, it's been about six months since I spoke with Sam Broom, who is an investment executive with Sprock Global. His background is that of a geologist. He's originally from New Zealand, but he's in Carlsbad, California right now, working with Sprock Global. If you're looking for a good full-service broker, Sam's email is sbroom at sprockglobal.com, and I personally know at least one of Sam's clients, and uh, they rave about his services. And I appreciate Sam's insights on the market, and that's why I ask him back on the show about every six months. With that being said, Sam, welcome back to Mining Stock Education, and what is your general outlook for the junior mining sector in 2020? Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me again. The junior mining sector is going to be an interesting one in 2020, I think. Um, I've been cautiously optimistic on the junior sector for, for a long while, but, you know, tentative on it. Um, however, with the developments of the last, really the last sort of four or five months, um, particularly in the precious metals space, um, I'm finally kind of warming up and almost enthusiastic about the, the junior space for 2020. Um, you know, uh, if past is prologue, what you usually see when you get these major cyclical turning points is you will see larger cap miners or commodity prices led, followed by larger cap mining stocks lead a rally, um, sort of a, a skeptical rally, um, which is what I would argue we've had over the last few months. Um, and then on that next leg up is when you tend to have more uh, generalist money flowing into the sector as well as capital flowing from sort of the larger cap quality down into the more speculative end of the market and you never know i don't have a crystal ball and i don't you know anything can happen in this highly volatile space but my gut feeling is that when we get this next leg higher which i believe is you know on the cusp of happening now or likely to happen next year um, you're going to start to see some of those capital flows hunting for more speculative opportunities, um, and you might we might start to see the junior tide rising because we've whilst we've had a pretty good run, you know, not spectacular but pretty good pretty good run in 2019 um, with gold breaking out. The junior space, by and large, other than a few you know a few good stories, uh, is still kind of struggling. Um, we, we certainly I wouldn't say we have a rising tide. Uh, in the junior space yet. So uh, I'm feeling pretty pretty optimistic and perhaps even excited uh, for a change on the junior sector, at least in the precious metal space right now. When we spoke mid-summer, you, were, uh, you liked how the, the precious metals and the gold chart looked. Is that still your, uh, your most bullish on gold? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole lot, to be frank, there's a whole lot I'm really excited about. Um, gold is definitely the momentum trade at the moment it's had its first leg up um so it's probably the most exciting from that standpoint um the only my only pause on that is you know a lot of things have had a decent run um so i always you know i'm probably working for sprot we're kind of more of a contrarian outfit and, and i do think we're still in a very contrarian phase you know we're probably in innings two of a seven oh, sorry of a nine innings 
match. You know, we, we're probably out of the first innings, so that very first wave has has happened. I think it's hard to argue that that hasn't happened. But I still think we got a long, 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 long way to go. Uh, you know, I think I think we could be staring at a half decade to a decade long precious metals, you know, bull market. It'll be volatile. There'll be big swings, as there always is. Um, but just looking at the macro setup, you know, what all the, the funny business in the central bank world, um, you know, I, I can't see how we don't get a prolonged bull market as, as that whole multi-decade experiment unwinds um but that aside um you know i see i see a lot of value out there you know particularly in the industrial meal space which has been really really lagging you know i was looking at a whole bunch of comp tables today um the higher quality industrial metal miners you know the copper copper space in particular you know they're trading it you know Peter Nav multiples half of what you're seeing in the gold space right now for similar, if not higher quality uh, producers. Um, so on a purely contrarian and valuation-based uh, comparison, the value is actually, the best value right now is actually in the industrial mills. The, the big question there is, you know, if we do see a big global macro event, most of those industrial commodities, at least the metals, are heavily leveraged to China. So the big question is what happens there if, if, if we have a major economic downturn? Half of me thinks, you know, it's, it's going to be hard to see those guys rally when we're having all sorts of, of economic troubles. Um, the second half of me thinks that I am almost certain that whenever we do get that big next macro economic downturn we're going to see a, a big switch from monetary to fiscal stimulus um and so what i'm looking out for on that regard is the the switch from monetary stimulus to in, in particular infrastructure spending the way china has done on many occasions in the past but i'm, I'm keeping a lookout in places like the us and europe um for, for, for big infrastructure spending and if if and when we start seeing headlines about that sort of thing um, I think it's time to to really take a very close look and, and really ramp up your industrial metal exposure because there, there's some very, very cheap opportunities in that space at the moment. Are you observing uh, quality primarily in the producers or developers? Where specifically within the industrial metal opportunities? First of all, I always look at the, the quality producers first. I mean, when when an entire sector is on sale, I think you're I think you're crazy if you don't look to the, the, the producers, you know, one account, example, um, and, and this isn't a recommendation, I've actually never owned the company, but I was looking at charts and I was looking at the, the, the tech chart um, from back in late 2015, over about a two-year period from its absolute low in 2015. And, and to be fair, there was massive balance sheet risk and you could argue, you know, bankruptcy risk. Um, and that's why it got so cheap. But the stock are almost 12 bagged. This is one of the largest mining companies in the world, almost 12 bagged from its low in late 2015 to its peak in, I think, early 2018. Is that tech? Yeah, tech, yeah. So there are opportunities to make multiple times your money in beat-up sectors, um, buying arguably quality um, at the right time and you know at the right valuation. Um, so... In my opinion, that's the first place to look, but it's not the only place I look. Um, and there are definitely speculative juniors um, that are fantastic value. Um, you know, one of my biggest positions right now 
um, is actually a junior in the it's, it's, it's a polymetallic um, play but uh, it's sort of almost half base metal half precious metals um, you know and, that, and that's a junior that's, that's had a good run but I still think it's got multi bag upside from here um, just because you know no one cares about that sector at the moment so I, I'm kind of I'm opportunity agnostic you know I, I like to look anywhere where I see really compelling risk reward and that's what it comes down to to me investing in the mining space in general whether it be uh, high quality producers or more speculative junior investments I want to see you know if I'm taking ex- extreme risk in the junior sector I want to have fairly as best uh, chances I can to make a really outsized gain um, and, and likewise you know if I'm up the, fo- up the food chain a little bit in the producers um, you know, I don't want to be taking on absorbent amount of risk for no reward, you know, so if I'm buying quality, um, I'm, I'm willing to take a little bit less potential reward, but I can go in with a bigger position size and things like that. So uh, key, key for me is opportunity agnostic risk reward. That's always at my forefront of my investment decision making process. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Osino Resources is a Ross Beattie-backed gold exploration company in mining-friendly Namibia. Osino's district-scale land package is situated near two producing gold mines, one of which Osino's management team previously developed and sold to B2 Gold. Osino's founders and management are experienced mining professionals who have already successfully developed and sold two companies in the past seven years. Osino has an excellent shareholder base with Ross Beattie owning 20%, Insiders 5%, and Resource Capital Funds 8%. This is an exploration company with drills turning that you'll definitely want to pay attention to. Osino trades in New York under the ticker O-S-I-I-F and in Toronto under the ticker O-S-I. To learn more, go to OsinoResources.com. That's OsinoResources.com. From a technical analysis perspective, uh, what chart of the, all the commodities you monitor looks most bullish right now? Uh, again, I probably can't look past the precious metal space right now. It's, you know, we had that first wave up, um, which just started last time we spoke. You know, we got up, we got a pretty good run. I didn't think we'd get to fifteen fifty before we got a pullback. Um, my gut feeling tells me we might be getting close to the end of that pullback now. We've had about twelve weeks of uh, price retracement here. Um, so to me, there's still some good buying opportunities in the precious metal space. So the charting purists would probably like the gold space the best right now. Um, I'm, I'm actually liking, I'm really liking some of the relative outperformance of some of the, the copper miners at the moment, uh, especially relative to the copper price, which not always, but can be an, an interesting indicator that we're about to see some sort of a shift there. Um, you know, I'm looking at my screen today and I'm seeing some pretty green numbers across the, uh, you know, my favored uh, copper producers. So, you know, I'm, I'm starting to watch that copper chart pretty closely. Um, co- copper is an interesting one. It, it, it's, it's been a real battle over the last sort of 12 months uh, with with the bears and the, and the trade tariff and, the, you know, the China about to collapse kind of narrative versus the fact that the copper market is very, very tight in terms of all the metrics that we watch. Um, you know, you, you hear a lot from industry insiders that things are very tight. So it's, it's really hard to figure out. I'm not, you know, it's above my pay grade to know exactly how that, that macro trade is going to play out. But the charters of copper is interesting enough to me that I'm paying very close attention, put it that way. Does the short-term impact of the U.S. 
China trade war, does that affect mostly uh, a potential entry point for you since you're so bullish long term? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I st- like, as we've spoken about before, you know, I think the copper trade, if, if you've got patience in a multi-year, you know, or probably at least a three to five year outlook, you know, you should be averaging in on all those, you know, those the algos jump on any trade talk on, trade talk off. It's, it's kind of comical watching how things jump based on a tweet or a, you know, a comment in the media. Um, you should be using those, that volatility to, to top up your high quality positions. Um, I'm always a big fan of averaging in over very long time frames when I have a very strong conviction on a theme. You know, I take usually advise taking multiple years to average into a into a into a theme because you know it can take that long for sectors to bottom and turn and you're never going to get the absolute bottom just like you're never going to get the absolute top um, on the way out either um, but, but use that volatility volatility is the friend of a patient long-term investor so you shouldn't be afraid of it um, you do have to have a bit of guts it's, it's tough to buy things when they're down sometimes um, but you know, if, if you're buying quality, you can have that conviction to buy the dips and, and hold and average down. We've seen a flurry of merger and acquisition activity amongst the major international gold miners. Uh, what's your commentary? What's the significance here of what we've seen of recent? Certainly interesting, isn't it? Um, you know, the sector's somewhat come to life. You know, I've, I've had a decent think about what this means for the sector um, you know, sometimes I'm sitting here scratching my head going, uh, you know, some of these deals are pretty big. They almost have top of the market type uh, feel to them. And, and then when I really stop and think about it, I realize it's not the case. Uh, what we've seen is well, almost exclusively acquisitions of producing assets in safe jurisdictions. Um, so whilst they're not, they're probably the next wave up from the really opportunistic distressed seller type acquisitions we probably saw in 2014 and 15 it's sort of the next wave up from that where you get the the sort of safe even though some of them are relatively large deals um they're the sort of safe safe uh, acquisitions that are, that are still out there um interestingly when you when you go through and analyze the the, the deals you know, the, the cash on cash returns are actually relatively low or not, they're not, they weren't bargain deals. Um, so it seems like boards are, have been happy to approve deals, um, you know, based on, you know, general planning on a, or, or expecting a general market uplift um, and sort of, you know, um, financial financial uh what's the, what's the word i'm looking for um, you know multiple expansion basically from growing from increasing the size of your company increasing the liquidity on your in your company and therefore the market affording you a higher multiple on your on your earnings or your you, you know your reserves and, and things like that um there are it seems that there are very few distressed seller opportunities anymore those are kind of gone so um, it, it's, it is interesting to, to look, um, but it is a good sign that there's, you know, an activity in the sector is increasing. So I think there's a very long way to go before we see the silly deals of the 2010 through 12 kind of period, you know, where we had producers buying billion, multi-billion dollar acquisitions of, you know, highly out of the money leverage assets that would take 10 to 15 years to develop. You know, when you see that, that's when you know you're probably close to a top. Um, so by and large, 
again, it kind of mirrors my comment earlier that we're probably in innings two or three of a of a nine innings game, um, and the M and A activity kind of mirrors my feeling this about that. Newmont Gold Corp announced uh, that they were going to repurchase up to one billion dollars worth of their stock. What do you think the significance here is? Are they signaling to the market that you know we don't think there's high enough quality? projects out there right now that we want to buy therefore we're going to invest in ourselves i mean is there is there something larger that we should take away from this yeah i mean well again it partly comes back to what i was just saying about it's this it's tough to find these deals that are going through right now are not uh, necessarily cheap if you assume a you know $1400 gold price and based on you know if you assume there's no expiration upside on the assets that have been acquired uh, i think that's you know most management teams a big part of the the reason they're uh, paying the the valuations they're paying at the moment is because they've done their homework on the on the brownfields expiration upside and that's a huge component of why they're willing to pay the price they are paying as well as having probably a bullish macro view macro view in the, at least in the precious metal space um yeah it's i'm personally not a big fan of, of buybacks in a capital intensive industry like the mining sector um but perhaps it is a sign that you know, the, there's the opportunities that are out there right now are, are, are not as, you know, not as good as there's not as many plentiful sort of no brainer deals to be done out there. And I think that is a large, a large part of that is because the expiration spend by the sector has been, you know, abysmal for a decade or more now, almost two decades, really, if you look at the data, it was sort of the late 90s when we last had a major, major expiration boom. So that is probably one of the most bullish things for the junior sector. Um, you know, don't I'm careful to to mix. You know, to, to again to use a Rick Rulism, uh, imminent, uh, inevitable and imminent. Um, it's hard to know exactly when we will have the next expiration boom, but there's just been so little expiration and new major discoveries that you know someone like Newmont is is struggling to find a place to put its cash. So instead of doing that, they're, they're buying back their stock. Newmont also uh, successfully uh, reached an agreement to sell uh, one of their properties in Red Lake for $375 million in cash, plus up to $100 million in contingent payments to Evolution Mining, an Australian miner. Uh, you are always good at informing me and my audience uh, what we, if you're a North American listener like myself, should know about what's going on with the Aussie miners. Uh, can you share with us what should we know about what's going on in Australia right now? Yeah, interesting. You mentioned that uh, Evolution's one of my, uh, you know, it's one of the companies I follow the most closely. Um, the Aussies, for the first time in about five or six years, actually, the Aussies have actually gone through a period of underperformance over the last two or three months. Uh, I got a, a chart that I can, uh, if you could put up on the screen for people listening, you'll you'll see what I mean. Um, what has happened is the Aussie the Aussie miners have been so efficient at generating excess returns um, that they've, they're the ones that are cashed up right now and have, have been doing the bulk of their acquiring lately. Um, so you're getting when this happens, you kind of get a period of digestion where uh, this is at least this is my take on it. You get a period of digestion where shareholders kind of take a breath and a there's been a substantial amount of profits to take i mean if you look at the five-year performance again i can send you a chart of this um of the australian all ordinaries gold index it's it's been a spectacular place to be investing and uh if you're an australian gold investor for the last five years um so a lot of a lot of investors are taking pause and realizing that um 
you know, there's there's been some some major acquisitions um, going on, particularly relative to market cap of many of these companies. Um, in my opinion, the, the better acquisitions in Australia are going to end up being rewarded. It's just going to take a little bit of time um, f- for those deals to be digested by the market and for investors and management teams to um, communicate with investors and prove that their turnaround um, of these assets, because not all of them, but most of them have been kind of a turnaround story. Um, take the Red Lake acquisition or the Northern Stars Pogo acquisition um, up in Alaska. Um, there is going to be a turnaround component to those to those acquisitions. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I actually think right now is a very reasonable entry point into many of these Australian producers again that have had again have had a massive run. Uh, I actually put out a note to to my clients a couple of weeks back um, outlining my top buy the dip opportunities and uh, most of the top names are actually these Aussie names which have pulled back to to uh, very attractive levels again. So yeah, I, I think there's great buying in the Aussie market right now actually. Of course, your relationship with uh, your clients, you know, that that's private and confidential. But is there anything you can share with us uh, generally, just the vibe or um, what your feedback you're getting from your clients that has pertinence to the larger investing audience that's listening to us? You know, I've got over, you know, I've got multiple hundred clients, so I get a pretty good feel for sentiment within the sector from the high net worth retail crowd. I would say in general, sentiment's at a, a pretty is at a level that I quite like. Um, there is renewed interest without things being euphoric. You know, it, it, I would call it skeptical op- <coughs> optimism, um, which which is great because it means people are willing to buy things again. For, for many number of years, it was really hard to get people other than the, the diehards interested in buying things. Um, people are there, there's a lot of skepticism that things are going to continue on with with it. You know, this gold breakout, everyone's sort of wondering, oh, is this just another head fake? Um, and a lot of people are waiting to buy dips, um, but which means there's a lot of capital still sitting on the sidelines ready to get allocated, you know, once things get moving again. Um, and it's just human nature that people will wait to buy the dip, and then when they get the dip, they'll try and wait for some more until it's too late and things are taken off again. Um, so, you know, it's I would say sentiment generally amongst my clients is, is you know, good, um, isn't it, at a really good level. Um, we've, we had a reasonable influx of new client activity about August, August and September, which, you know, correlated with the, the short-term peak, and which, as it often does, um, but you know, I think in the long run, those guys will all be handily rewarded, but it, it's also a good sign that we're starting to see some new capital starting to flow back into the sector. I wouldn't say it's, it's a rush by any means, but, um, you know, it's, it's a good sign that some, some generalist money is starting to take a look at the sector. I think we're probably at, you know, I think we're barely in innings one on, in terms of new capital coming into the sector. But um, yeah, in general, uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about where the level of enthusiasm is and sentiment in the client base. It's just we're almost at that sweet spot right now where there's a big runway ahead and we're we're just off the lows. So regarding institutional money coming into the sector, were you encouraged at all by that eighty million dollar Canadian uh, bought deal for Silvercrest? It, it shows there's there's uh, capital available for quality, you know. Um, I mean, I I keep my, you know, I have to keep my commentary for, for re- regulatory reasons 
um, on individual companies uh, for my clients. But, um, you know, it, it does show that for quality, you know, and it, it's definitely a quality play, um, there's money there to finance things. So, um, yeah, and, and it was a good sign. If you're on social media, Twitter in particular, you can follow Sam at The Nude Investor. The Nude Investor. And Sam, I always got to have you explain why you have that handle if you could. <laughs> Yeah, um, it was based on. Uh, I used to I used to follow a guy called Jamie Oliver, the Naked Chef. Um, he's an English personality, um, and uh, I, I liked that name, and I wanted to copy it. Um, and then I, you know, I came up with the back when I used to run a blog um, called the, the Nude Investor. Um, the, the theme of that one was uh, the bare essentials of investing. So it was a little play on words there. So I get a, I get a few sideways looks on that one. I probably should get around to changing my Twitter handle one day, but, uh, that's the history behind that one. And, uh, you can go to sprockglobal.com, uh, click on our team and look up Sam's bio. If you'd want to learn more about him and his website, as I mentioned at the intro is sbroom at sprockglobal.com. As always, Sam, thanks for coming on mining stock education. Appreciate your insights. A pleasure, Bill. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks concomitant with that if you don't do the work or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too i just started to study up on mining stocks and i just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly the mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your 
own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.